Okay, today I'm chatting with Michael Schaefer, the founder and director of Warm Heart Foundation, a non-profit based here in the north of Thailand. Michael's on a mission to help clean the air, and he's doing that by working with farming communities, teaching them new ways to deal with crop waste rather than open burning fields. He does that by teaching them to create biochar, and, and it's something I wanted to sit down with him today and just really get to the kind of nuts and bolts of, you know, what is biochar, why is it important, and how is, you know, he and, and the guys at Warm Heart and Biochar Life working with these farming communities to help reduce smoke, clean the air, remove carbon, both in Thailand, Africa, and, and in many other countries as this, this expands. So we, we had a few network issues. I was speaking to, to Michael over Zoom. He was... Um, his place in the north of Thailand, which is somewhat out of network. So please bear with it. At times it drops out a bit. But um, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Michael Schaefer. Michael Schaefer, welcome to the Task Podcast. How are you doing? Well, thank you very much, Matt. I'm doing great. Cool. We, You know, I was just thinking before we jumped on, we chatted you were one of my first podcasts, which is way back in, you know, in the in the day, I mean, about two and a half years ago. So um, when we were very kind of new, so it's good to catch up and, and lots to talk about. So um, but before we jump in, maybe I will have done a very quick intro, but do you want to just give a bit of a broader one, just, um, you know, who you are, what you do, warm heart, and, and then we can talk about the important stuff about biochar and everything else. So Right. Well, my name is Michael Schaefer, um, obviously. Um, I'm an ex-professor of political science in the United States. I was a full professor at Rutgers University for 25 years, teaching the international political economy of development and spending a lot of time going around the world uh, consulting about issues of development and the you know, civic sector and all of that. And uh, after 25 years, when I could retire with medical benefits, a huge issue in the United States, um, I decided to put my money where my mouth was and came to North Thailand here to start Warm Heart. Um, we now operate here in Thailand, but also in Africa, in Ghana, Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, Malawi, Kenya, with operations about to begin, I hope in Nigeria, Sierra Leone, Cameroon and so on. So Africa is really becoming very much our sort of basic center of operations. We're essentially a community development organization that doesn't operate uh, in the normal way. We don't come with a mission saying, you know, we think that water is the primary issue, so we will drill you a well. We arrive by asking, you know, uh, what can we do? You know, what, what, do, what do you think the problems are? And then we build from there. We start from a position of ignorance and uh, our motto is ask, don't tell. Um, so we, we work with very closely with people in the community and based on what we learn from our community about community identified needs and community identified solutions, we then go out and, and develop projects which can be taken around the world. And certainly biochar is one of those and one of the most effective of all of those. We also, however, run a children's home. We're responsible for about oh, almost 100 children at any given time. Um, we have a job creation program doing microenterprise. Um, we have sustainable agriculture of which biochar is part. And we do an elders program for the abandoned, disabled and elders. So we are involved in all aspects of community life. 
Cool. I and yeah, I mean, I've known you guys obviously for for quite a while and, and read many of your articles and uh, you, you know, warm heart. The, the thing I really want to focus on today is is as you know is biochar, uh, the project that we are involved in uh, at Task and one that is uh, you know close to my heart because it's on my doorstep yeah. in terms yes. of the, the problems it solves i mean Aye. just from a you know audience perspective you know what is biochar and why is it important well biochar is in you know everybody mystifies biochar you know you read all these fancy scientific articles from the west and and from scientists and so on about how fancy this stuff is basically biochar is souped up charcoal um, let's not, not be too fancy about this. Biochar is made in the same way that charcoal is made. That is to say, by heating biomass, you know, wood, waste products, grass. I mean, Matt, I could biochar you if I could dry you out a little bit. <laughs> you know, you don't have a lot of water in there. I'd have to boil off first. But, but basically, you take any biomass around, you heat it very hot with as little oxygen as possible, and uh, you get biochar, and biochar is essentially pure, um, pure inert carbon. Uh, a good biochar might run 80% carbon, um, and that carbon is inert. It's not going to go anywhere. We discovered biochars quite by accident um, in the Amazon, where we discovered biochars that were 4,000 years old. So this stuff really sticks around. That's one of the great things about it. Um, and it has a whole variety of wonderful characteristics. If you make biochar, you dramatically reduce the amount of greenhouse gases that are released. Um, you can entirely reduce, eliminate actually, the PM 2.5 or the haze smoke that is released during burning. Um, if you use it in the ground, you're sequestering a large amount of uh, CO2. You also tremendously improve the soil. You're sequestering a lot of carbon, obviously, but it also has the effect of increasing water retention, of, re of raising uh, pH, which means reducing acidity, improving soil structure, improving fertility. Uh, increasing soil life just does wonderful, wonderful things. If you add it to animal feed, it will make the animals healthier, makes them get fatter quicker, <laughs> makes them lay more eggs and make more milk and all sorts of great stuff. I mean, you can use it for water filters, you can use it sanitation. It's it, This is incredible stuff. Can, can we talk about that in terms of the it is incredible stuff and it solves a real problem like i say it's on my doorstep as you know i mean i know i'm in the north of thailand you're in another part of the north of thailand but this is not an isolated issue but can, can you just talk about you know this issue of burning i mean funnily enough i saw the first photos this morning on <laughs> so, social media from the the hills behind my right. house they're right. starting to burn there's many different reasons but yeah maybe you can talk just to, just to some of the core issues here for people that wouldn't really have any exposure to this and, and understand why it's a problem and why it happens. Right. Well, in, you know, if you, if you live in the West, you don't see this problem as such, right? Because farmers in the West are punished if they will effectively, if they burn their crop residues, um, it's impossible to imagine a German farmer 
burning a rapeseed field or burning the you know, stalks of corn. Um, in fact, there are all sorts of systems for collecting that stuff and turning it into fertilizer and good stuff. Here in the developing world, there is simply no alternative for many farmers but to burn. Um, and so they burn and they burn literally gigatons, that's billions of tons of crop waste every single year. And when they burn it, this produces literally hundreds of millions of tons of haze or PM 2.5, which spreads across the countryside. I mean, you know, it's not just Northern Thailand we're talking about, it's Beijing during the summer. It's the closing of the schools, closing of the government of India in Delhi, closing of Lahore across the border in, in Pakistan, closing down Tehran. Um, I mean, it moves around the world with the harvest season because people burn their crop waste after they've harvested. Um, this is a global problem of huge dimensions. It kills literally, it is the fifth biggest killer in the world, this PM 2.5. I mean, not only, it's not just an irritation. It doesn't just block out the sun and make your throat hurt and your eyes water. It literally kills millions of people a year. Uh, it kills more people than HIV and uh, you know malaria and all the sort of sexy infectious diseases combined, and it does it every single year. That that's a stat. What of air pollution or specific to two point five? That's specific to 2.5. Wow. I mean, 2.5 is the killer in ambient air pollution. Um, and that and is PM 2.5 is is comes from a particular type of smoke or just smoke related yeah. to burning crops. Yeah. Or PM 2.5 is generally produced by the incomplete combustion of carbon, you know, containing materials, and you can find it from you know incomplete combustion of oil, um, of gas, of you know carbon, of you know. You know biomass of just about anything. Um, yeah. And if you are in a big city, chances are it's going to come from transportation, electricity production, and so on. But if you live in the countryside, as you and I do, um, then it comes primarily from crop waste burning. And there's just a tremendous amount of that. Um, millions, gigatons, billions of tons of stuff that gets burned and therefore, billions of tons of PM 2.5 that get produced. Um, so this is just a huge problem. Now, what, what is important about it is probably if, is to look on the positive side of it, right? Because if you take this biomass and turn it into biochar, you are producing a tremendously valuable product, something that can do a tremendous amount of good for everyone concerned. So by making biochar, you are not only removing a bad, you are creating a good. Cool, and to talk about the process, you know, it's interesting. I've obviously learned a lot about biochar over the last couple of years. And you know, we're now, thankfully there's a local project that's linked to you guys that's just coming into formation really in the last few weeks where they're gonna start engaging the farming communities here but something i always found quite unintuitive about it was you know the primary focus here is to 
you know, stop burning and, and change the behavior and provide something new. But the process is still essentially to take this crop waste and, and heat it and turn it into a product, right? There is still some element of, I don't, I don't know if you call it burning, but it's, you know, rather than open burning, you're, you're going into what furnaces and, and you're burning at higher temperatures to create a product that is way more healthy and has a, uh, you know, redu reduces uh, or removes carbon from the air. Right, exactly. I mean, one of the things that most people are concerned about when they think about going to biochar, converting crop waste to biochar, is that this is going to be require a huge amount of social change, social behavioral change. And everyone says, well, social behavioral change is just too difficult. You can't do it. You cannot get billions of people to change their behavior. Um, well, I mean, that is actually not true, um, but it does generally take a huge amount of time, effort, and money. Um, so the question is, how do we get all these people to change their behavior? And you know, if you're looking at the developing world, you're not looking at the rich, you're looking at the poor. You have to ask, begin by asking who burns. Well, who burns are the smallest of the small, the poorest of the poor, the people who literally have nothing else to do with their crop waste, which sits in their fields and they can't do it. They don't have plows, they don't have tractors, they have no way of getting rid of this stuff and they have to clear their fields before they plant again. So the question is, how do they get rid of this stuff? Well, the absolutely easiest way to get rid of it is to flick their bick. If you remember that old ad campaign, <laughs> they stand at the bottom of the hill, they flick that lighter and whoop, it's gone. And they've got a clean field and it's ready to plant and all of that good stuff. Unfortunately, they've one, just created a tremendous amount of carbon um, you know, uh, dioxide, carbon dioxide equivalent, you know, these huge amounts of climate change gas and a tremendous amount of PM 2.5, which will, and on average here in North Thailand, it takes about four years off the life of every single person who lives in North Thailand. I mean, that's pretty shocking. You and I aren't going to live as long as we should. I, believe um, me, I'm and, aware of it yeah, every year. When and I'm, anybody, when anybody who lives up here is going to suffer, you know, this way if we don't die as infants or prematurely as as all elders um, because of because of this kind of smoke. Um, the question is, how do you convert it? How do you take these very poor people and have, give them a way to convert? Hey, Michael, I think we just we lost the network for a minute there, but let's let's jump back in. We were just um, you, you were just talking about uh, I got as far as the process, the far that you're, you're, you know, teaching the farmers to create biochar. And uh, do you want to just kind of carry on roughly from where you were? And we'll, we'll kind of ad lib into the next section. Yeah, well, I mean, the point is that, that this making basic biochar is actually very easy. Um, there doesn't have to be anything mystical or fancy about biochar. Biochar is, as I said earlier, just jumped up, you know, charcoal. Um, so if you can give farmers the technology necessary to make basic biochar of quality, then they can make excellent soil amendments, animal feeds, and so on that will do them 
great, great benefits. Um, so we go out and train people. We send teams of, of trainers out and they can meet with groups of 40, 50, 60 people and train them in half a day um, on how to make the equipment, how to um, use the equipment and how to use the um, how to use the uh, biochar that they get. Now, the important thing is to understand that you design the equipment or you select the equipment for the feedstock they have. So if they've got corn cob, for example, you want to, you, or coconut husks, for example, a great example, um, then you want a, an old oil drum to make the biochar. And on the other hand, if you're talking about corn stalks, millet stalks, rice straw, whatever, then you want a trench in the ground. But these things are not expensive. I mean, a trench in the ground requires a hoe, you know? And you can make a, um, you can make a, a tea lab, a top lip updraft oven of our redesigned variety uh, with hand tools in an hour and a half. Um, and all you need is the damn barrel. And a barrel around here today, you probably get one for 350, 400 baht. Um, so the, the, the costs are truly minimal. You can do this easily by yourself. Um, and the quality of the product you get is extremely good. Um, high carbon content, uh, high quality carbon, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so this is, this is really, really something for people. Now, it's, it's not a matter for them only of the improvement of their farming and so on. There's also a cash element in this. Um, you gotta remember we're a development organization. So we are not only interested in fighting climate change and uh, PM 2.5, the public health aspect of that, but we are also in, interested in solving food insecurity problems, which are becoming rampant in North Thailand, for example, throughout the developing world. Um, and also um, interested in, in, in reducing poverty. So um, one of the things that we're really interested in doing is figuring out how can farmers begin to monetize what they are doing. And so we've looked at the carbon, global carbon markets where there are literally billions of dollars sloshing around looking for some place to go um, to help in the, in the global needed, desperately needed effort to pull carbon out of the atmosphere. I mean, if you look at the world today and you see all of the climate events taking place, they are proof positive that there's no more room in the atmosphere or the oceans for carbon. They're just, you know, we've filled up all the space. Um, the consequences are beginning to come home to us finally. Now, the original solution to this was what are called carbon emission reductions credits that came out of the old Kyoto system. Here, the idea was that if we reduced our emissions of greenhouse gases enough, that this would get us through. Um, and uh, it has proved not only to be not the case that we could reduce emissions, our emissions continue to rise, in fact, rise quite steeply. But at the same time, the system was set up in such a way that say an American or no, Americans don't play by these rules, let's say a German company that had an EU imposed 
uh, limit to how much CO2 it could release into the atmosphere broke that limit by say a thousand tons, it could go into the carbon market and buy carbon emission reduction credits worth a thousand tons. And those credits would have come from, let's say, you know, Vietnam or something, where yep. something had been done to reduce emissions by a thousand tons. And so what happened was that thousand tons of excess carbon was simply disappeared through an accounting mechanism. It, yeah. didn't, it didn't reduce the amount of stuff going into the atmosphere. It just moved it in effect to Vietnam and it disappeared in this accounting magic. Well, at that we've seen perfectly well in flooding and fires and all that good stuff, but this did not work. So today people are finally beginning to talk about carbon removal. And that's what we are interested in. Uh, what we are interested in doing is finding a way for these poor farmers in the developing world to claim that they are actually removing carbon from the atmosphere permanently. Now, the problem so far has always been that all the standards for verifying the production and certifying the removal of carbon have been impossibly difficult for small developing world farmers. Um, they were not designed. There was never an intention to have these apply to them. But in the end, the global carbon markets are in the north. And so they demand northern standards, which nobody can meet <laughs> down here. Well, so a couple of years ago, I set out to see if it would be possible to create a system that would make it possible for small um, small farmers to actually make and verifiably um, show the world what they were doing in the production of biochar because biochar by containing let's say 80% carbon if buried in the ground and you would have to verify that it's being buried in the ground is removing twice that much um, you know it's two units of carbon dioxide for every unit of biochar. So if you're able to bury in your soil a ton of biochar, you've sequestered from the atmosphere two tons of um, carbon dioxide. Well, if we could prove that to the world verifiably, we could get certified and then they could sell that those carbon credits on the global markets. Well, in the beginning, this was just impossible. And then I thought, uh-uh, no, wait a minute. There's got to be a way to do this using the blockchain. And so I met Task.io. And the question wasn't really, could we do this with the blockchain, but how do we get farmers, the hell and gone in the middle of nowhere, um, able to do it? And the solution was, to use a ubiquitous technology like the cell phone and make it possible for small farmers to very easily use a cell phone, a cell phone's capacity to, to mark GPS and to uh, time and date stamp photographs that then went into the blockchain and so on to mark what they were doing. 
And so what we now have is a system that runs from the field all the way up to the top of certification. And that certificate, those certified credits can and are being sold for the first time on global markets. Um, so that within about a year, we hope to be able to begin seriously signing up tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, we hope, of small farmers who are making biochar out of crop waste and, uh, and see them helping their families by increasing their family income through this conversion of waste into value. Um, I think that's I mean a really that's big deal. It it is, and I you know just to kind of summarize some of the things he said there because I think it's so important. Um, you know, I when I look at the ultimate, the, the great thing about this is, firstly, there's a business model in here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I, you know, you really need business models to create success because, as you know, I mean, you've been in the the nonprofit and the NGO space for a long time, and you constantly in this cycle of having to go out and and find money um, to support the cause. Whereas, although there is initially that needed with this, the, the revenue or the, the capital that comes into this can come from the West, purchasing an offset which represents carbon removed. The other important thing though, is this isn't just about carbon removal. There are so many tick boxes here. I mean, it stops this smoke uh, that we're all suffering from locally. It's improving the livelihoods of these marginalized farming communities on the ground here um so you know i mean really it is a great project all around you know it kind of covers all the boxes and yeah to your point obviously we are we're excited i mean i say excited we're into it now you know bringing technology into this to make it successful you know learning each day um smartphones i don't th there's a lot of negative about smartphones the great thing about this is it's kind of turning a smartphone into a really useful device to get you know connect these farmers or the volunteers with or the workers with you know biochar trust connecting them with farmers with with buyers overseas and enabling this whole uh, ecosystem to scale um, i know you guys are in we've piloted, we started in thailand we're in africa how much further can this go what's the kind of big vision over the next five ten years in terms of numbers and regions and, and solving this problem well the Scale is absolutely critical to making this go, um, both because we are a development organization and we do see the full scale. This is a really a total triple bottom line, as they say, social enterprise. This produces environmental benefits, social benefits, and economic benefits for all the stakeholders in this project. It requires, once it's up and going, it will require no government support, no international organization support, none. This is a pure business operation, which as you say, can support itself. This is really critical. We understand here sustainability to mean profitable enough to continue to operate on its own feet. You know, so this is really different from many of the so-called social enterprises that get set up. And this is why we think this is different from your average environmental project. I mean, most, you know, 
public officials look at environmental problems and just say, no way, I'm never going to get involved in that because they see them as financial black holes. You know, you pour money in them to solve a problem today that will be there tomorrow and the day after and next year and a decade from now. I mean, nothing actually gets done. These these people will go on doing this by themselves for themselves forever because it works and because it works you know um they will they will pursue it and because they pursue it it will make the money so we are started now here in thailand um we've got operations going in africa in kenya and malawi but the way to scale is to bring aboard network partners of these are big organizations that are already engaged in agricultural development with very large numbers of farmers. So organizations such as One Acre, um, the Grameen Foundation, um, and so on. Organizations that already serve literally in some cases a million and a half farmers, um, where what we would be doing is offering them this as a service that they could in turn offer to their farmers. Uh, the come on to them would be that it would be a tremendous service to their farmers, but also that they would receive a portion of the revenue so that it would that would pay for the cost of their using their trainers to go out and teach people how to do this and so on. So the idea is to blanket Africa, South Asia. I mean, India is just a huge, huge burning mess. You know, Pakistan, Iran, really covering that all of Latin America, where you just have huge smoke problems. Um, Ideally, it would be, you know, my vision would be no more crop waste burning. Mm. Um, and uh, who knows, maybe someday. <laughs> well, know? yeah, let's see. I mean, look, really kind of, you know, looking forward to being on this journey with you guys. I mean, it's, we've, we've known each other a, a few years now. And it's, you know, I think really the last six, seven, eight months, we've really started to gain traction, which is great. And like I say, I mean, you know, in the last few days, locally here in in my town of Pi, the living, they are kicking off a, a a small project that is under the wing of you guys. So you know, it's great to see people excited and talking about it. And and I believe I think that the Warm Heart guys are coming up to train train the the farming communities next month. So yeah, it's exciting stuff. And look, appreciate you you joining to to share more and. Hopefully we get to catch up face to face sometime again soon. Um, yes, well, as soon as the smoke gets really bad in pie, you're going to have to come down to Chennai, <laughs> where the we're about smoke a week will away. Be bad, but better, <laughs> there's better air conditioning down here. Indeed. Hey, before we knock off, do you just want to share uh, any kind of social details? I'll put them in the in the notes to to the episode. But uh, you know, if people want to learn more about yourself, um, the foundation, your work, where should they go? Well, I think there are a couple of places people can go. The first place to go, of course, is to our website, which is www.warmheartworldwide.org. And I mean, that was sort of a conceit in the beginning, worldwide. And we came to Thailand and started the Warm Heart Foundation, which is a fully registered Thai um, 
you know, NGO or whatever, um, CM273, um, but um, we've now got operations in many other countries, so we're beginning to approach the worldwide reach. Um, so the website is the first place to go. Um, then another place to go uh, would in fact be to uh, a website called Biochar Live. And by the way, Matt, that's the new name. It turns out you cannot use the word trust in a registered company's name. So okay. Biochar Trust, which was our initial name for the new company, is now Biochar Live. Okay. Bio, so I assume that the website is called biocharlive.com either com or org i actually do not know I well assume. i will i will for anyone listening i let me hunt it down and i'll i'll put it in the notes so people can find it um if they want to look right. the look up the the biochar live organization right and then people who would like to contact me directly is d dot michael dot schaefer s h a f e r at gmail.com and the d it's just d it's not short for doctor it's just short for david to which i never answered as a kid <laughs> so <laughs> it's been left as d dot michael cool all right michael look right. cheers cheers for jumping on really lovely to chat as always right. and, uh, well thank you very much yeah yeah and i'm really glad to be able to make this distinction between ces and you know with your emissions reductions and what we're trying to do which is carbon re removal just literally taking the stuff out of the sky because i think that's the only way we're going to be able to beat this one indeed it's an important it's an important point to make so all right. Well, right. thanks for the website and for the uh, podcast and whatnot. Appreciate it a lot here. Cool. Cheers. See you soon. Okay. Yep. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Task Podcast and hope you found it interesting. If you'd like to get in touch and have a chat with myself, Matt, or one of the team, then we are at hello at task.io and we'd love to speak to you. Cheers. Cheers.